Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, straight from the source, Hurricane Idalia, just hours away from landfall, but Florida is already feeling the impact. This extremely dangerous hurricane is now a Category 2 storm and expected to intensify. One of the greatest threats is a storm surge, perhaps it's 15 feet high in Florida's Big Bend region. Officials there say it could be a once-in-a-lifetime event. Florida's governor warning that now is the time to get out. Mandatory evacuations are underway in county after county. Thousands of National Guard members have been activated. We are monitoring it all. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Hurricane Idalia is intensifying very rapidly tonight, now packing winds of 105 miles per hour. The eye of the hurricane is now 155 miles or so southwest of Tampa and moving north. It is expected to slam into Florida as a Category 3 storm by early tomorrow. Governor Ron DeSantis is warning everywhere in the Big Bend area that they are going to see a storm surge, and now is the time to get out. Officials in Taylor County, which is southeast of Tallahassee, say that the surge there could possibly exceed 15 feet and that anyone who was caught in it would not be able to survive. Evacuations have been ordered in at least 22 counties. The outer bands of Idalia have already been hitting the Florida Keys and the southwest coast. Here's a view of the storm from space. NASA released these images from the International Space Station just as it passed over it. CNN is tracking this storm across the entire region. We have full team coverage for you tonight in this hour. CNN's Carlos Suarez is on the ground in Tampa. Our meteorologist Chad Myers is at the CNN Weather Center And we have key state officials on standby to update us. We'll get to them in just a moment. Chad, I want to start with you, though, because we have seen this storm strengthening today. Where does it stand right now? And what is the time frame? What's that window of when it's going to make landfall? I think it makes landfall around 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. So like less than 12 hours from right now, somewhere along the Big Bend area, you would know from one side would be Apalachicola and the other side would be Gold Steenhatchee. And I'm sure we'll have our reporters there from Steenhatchee. That's just on the other side of the bend. The problem with this storm is where it is going. It's going into a catcher's mitt of topography here. There's no place for this water to go. This storm right now is gathering water under it, pushing water on the right side of it. And it's If there was nothing to the north, it would be fine. But unfortunately, there is land there. And that land is going to stop the rain and stop the water that's surging to the north. Look at the eye right now. We have not seen an eye like this the entire storm. But there it is. It just popped in the past couple of hours. That means the storm is rapidly intensifying at this hour. And hurricane hunters are flying through that right now and proving that to us as the pressure is dropping rapidly. As the pressure goes down, the winds go up. It is going to make landfall likely as a Category 3 hurricane, not that far from Hatchie, probably to the north of Crystal River, and then even make significant wind all the way into Georgia. So now we're not going to see any storm surge from St. Pete and Tampa until the storm gets due west of you and the winds come from this direction. 
because right now they're pushing offshore, pushing that water away. But that's going to change because of the circulation of the storm. Six inches of rainfall in places that people may be evacuating to. That could cause some flash flooding here. So you have to be very careful where you're going with this storm, just trying to stay out of the way of that surge. And that surge is going to be the most significant part of this today and into tomorrow because there's no place for this water to go. It can't st- go keep going. It has to stop. It's going to go up the St. Mark's River. It's going to go toward Apalachicola. It's going to go to Steenhatchee. Not places that are widely populated like Tampa, but significant evacuations have to take place to get people out of there. A 15-foot storm surge, because this is so flat down here, could go four miles inland. If your house isn't on stilts, it's not going to make it. Caitlin? We will be keeping an eye on the storm surge. Obviously, you say it's the what's going to be potentially the worst part of this. Thank you so much, Chad Myers. You're welcome. And Carlos Suarez is also on the ground for us. Carlos, I know that you have been talking to people all day about this. How are people there bracing for, for what Chad just laid out there, what we're going to see? Well, Caitlin, we are in for a wet and windy night here in the Tampa Bay area. A look at the radar shows that we're in for a strong line of thunderstorms associated with the storm in the next hour or so. And we expect that bad weather to really continue uh, through the night. Of course, the big concern, as Chad laid out there, for a good part of the state, including just about uh, all of Hillsborough County here in the Tampa Bay area, as well as Pinellas County is the flooding that might be uh, headed this way uh, when you take into account all of this rain that is going to fall over the next uh, 12 to uh, 24 hours. Then you've also got all of that water just being pushed into the Tampa Bay area, and then you mix in high tide, and that is the concern uh, from emergency officials right now, are that folks that live in these low-lying areas in the Tampa Bay area, they really want to see them get more inland. They want to see them get to higher ground. Caitlin? Yeah, I mean, any surge that is over four feet would break records that are that have been set in Tampa. I know officials have been saying it could be not only four feet, but between four and seven feet. Is the city prepared for this flooding? What are officials saying? Yeah, so the city, uh, the city goes into the night uh, really hoping that a lot of the residents that live in these low-lying areas seek higher ground. There are two mandatory evacuation orders that have been in place for a good part of the day. One of those uh, mandatory evacuation orders are right here in Hillsborough County. That is home to the Tampa Bay area. The other mandatory evacuation order is just to the west of us. That's in Pinellas County. That is home to Clearwater as well as St. Pete's. A number of hurricane shelters have also opened in anticipation of this storm. Of course, again, the concern is all of that flooding associated with this storm surge as we head into tomorrow. The concern is that just not enough folks right now have made that decision just yet about seeking higher ground. A lot of the folks that we've been talking to out here tonight tell us, look, they don't think it's going to be that bad. And so they're making the decision, at least right now, to stay put, which is something that emergency officials right now don't want to hear. Caitlin? So you're hearing from multiple people who who say they're not leaving to go to higher ground? Because we heard from Governor DeSantis earlier saying, you don't have to go hundreds of miles. We're just asking you to either go to a shelter, go to higher ground, go a few miles away, or you will be in a better position if the storm surge does get that bad. Yeah, so the folks that we've talked to in this part of downtown Tampa have told us, look, we've seen other hurricanes 
uh, come really close to the Tampa Bay area. In fact, we were in this very same location last year as Hurricane Ian moved to the south, and there was a great deal of concern then that that storm was going to hit the Tampa Bay area. And so a lot of the folks that we talked to out here told us, look, last year we made all of these preparations uh, with the anticipation, the fear that Hurricane Ian was going to hit. Then that storm went to the south, and this area saw some flooding, but it really wasn't that bad. And so going into tonight, the folks out here, at least the ones that we've come across, have told us, look, we also prepared for this storm. We thought that uh, this might be a little bit closer to us than what the forecast has it right now. And so as the storm moves further north, but then a little bit further west of the coastline, a lot of the folks are falling back to that sense from last year, which is, sure, we're going to see some rain, we're going to see some wind, we might see some flooding, but we don't think it's going to be as bad. The concern, as Chad laid out, as well as emergency officials out here, is that really we're not going to see this storm surge associated uh, with uh, this hurricane until tomorrow. Uh, A number of factors are at play here, right? You've got all of this rain that should fall anywhere between two to six inches of rain over the next couple of hours. You've then got the the hurricane has to move in. It's going to push all of that in. And then you're going to mix in high tide. And the concern there is that once all those three things uh, happen at the same time, that's when you're going to see some flooding in the Tampa Bay area. Caitlin? Yeah, it creates a bad, perfect storm. Carlos Suarez, thank you. We'll check back in with you. I want to turn now to John McDonald. He is the Director of Emergency Management in Levy County, one of many across Florida's West Coast that have issued mandatory evacuation orders for their residents. John, thank you so much for being here tonight. I know you got a lot going on. Your county is set to see some of the worst of Hurricane Idalia later tonight and through tomorrow. Are you prepared right now? What conditions are you preparing to to experience? Um, we're looking at a, 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 a the highest tide surge that we're looking for could be upwards of uh, 15 AGL. Um, we convert everything to MSL here. We have uh, mean sea level um, storm tide poles that are out there. So residents can kind of get a visual on what that actual is going to look like. So basically, it's not a, an exact science for us, but we take and basically add two foot to those AGL numbers that the media puts out there. So that 15 AGO converts to 17 as a high tide surge for us. I mean, same level and all that, but at least it gives them some visual to go out there and look at. But uh, Hermine, when it came in through 2016, affected Cedar Key. Um, just to put that in perspective for people, um, that came in at a little over, I think it was around 9.6 um, MSL. And we're looking at 17 MSL. And Hermine uh, tore that island up pretty good um, and the community of Yankeetown. So you're expecting this to be worse than that is what you're saying, right? Yes. And given that, I mean, clearly officials there are worried because they've ordered the mandatory evacuation of all residents. Have you, has everyone evacuated? What is your sense right now of how many people have done so and how many people haven't? Um, we're, we're still having some issues out there on those, uh, out there on Cedar Key. Uh, one of the last reports I got, which that was uh, earlier today, I haven't updated that yet, but there was roughly a, about a hundred and a, a little over a hundred um, citizens that were still out there on the island that just refused to leave after the mandatory evacuations had taken place. Um, we've shoved messaging out just about every way, every social media outlet that we have, every um, news media outlet. Um, we've also um, done iPods messaging. Um, all the way down to going back to the old school route alerting. We even did that to go around door to door to try to get these people to leave. I mean, if those 100 people are watching right now, what what's your message to them? Um, well, my message to them is, you know, it's it, they, they stayed during Hermine. 
they didn't really have that super super wind field um, that we're potentially seeing here. You know, we're looking at wind speeds of potentially 115 to 125. Um, and, 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 you know, so we're looking at, a you know, a upper level Cat 3. Hermine, when it went by, was a, a very strong tropical storm, minimal category one hurricane. So that's the difference that we're trying to, to tell these people that, you know, when, it, when um, you incorporate a lot more wind with it, that increases those numbers. So it's, you know, it's real, it's happening. Um, you know, we can deny it. We can do that. You know, we always tell everybody to uh, run from the run from the surge and hide from the wind. They don't have to go far. Um, you know, just get uh, far enough out of that surge zone. Um, pretty much anything uh, on the east side of US 19 uh, moving in and like that would be a safe, safe enough to get out of the surge. If they don't get out of the surge and what's expected to be the surge area, will first responders still be able to get to them? No, once uh, once the winds reach a certain level and then once the tide, um, because especially Cedar Key, because Cedar Key has uh, one one way in and one way out. There's, you know, it's it's a, a, a state highway that runs through there. So mm -hmm. um, once that becomes um, uh, unpassable, yes, they will not be able to get out there on rescue boats, winds and all that. So once those winds reach that 45 mile an hour sustained, um, they pull all the emergency vehicles off the road. Um, so they're they're in it for the long haul. And those that stayed during Hermine, um, then then called and wanted to be evacuated and all that, and we couldn't get to them. Um, they really need to take heed of this. It's a stark warning. John McDonald, we are thinking of all of y'all tonight. We know you got a long few days ahead of you. So thank you for taking the time to join me tonight. Yeah, thank you. We have much more to come as Idalia is bearing down on Florida. We are going to be joined by a former governor of the state, current Senator Rick Scott, and we'll also hone in on the extremely warm water temperatures that are helping fuel this storm and make it more intense, as we heard, Jack, back in just a moment. We are closely following Hurricane Idalia as it is gaining strength and barreling towards the Florida coast. Officials there are bracing for landfall, which is expected to happen just a few hours from now. They're warning that projected storm surges along the coastal regions could be and I'm quoting them now, non-survivable. For residents who are still in those evacuation zones, authorities have said the time to go is now before it becomes impossible. Florida Senator Rick Scott knows what it's like to weather these storms. He's the former governor of the Sunshine State, and he joins us now. Senator, thank you for taking the time to join us. I mean, this hurricane and the forecast that it expected to make near Florida's Big Bend, which is where the panhandle turns into uh, the peninsula, it has not experienced a storm of this magnitude in more than 150 years. What are you most worried about as of this moment? Well, Caitlin, I worry about life. I mean, it's real simple. I want everybody to survive this. This is a um, this area of the state uh, is a low lying area, and um, and, and you know, people people are just are not used to thinking about uh, these these storms or water events. And so, what I care about is I want every Floridian to stay alive. And the way you do that is you listen. Here's what's going to happen: somewhere on the west coast of Florida, somebody's going to experience ten plus foot of storm surge. Probably six foot of storm surge, you're not going to survive, right? I watch, I've watched what's happened. Um, somewhere we're going to have 120 plus mile an hour winds. If you're in a manufactured home or trailer park, you might not survive. And then after the fact, we're going to have a lot of flooding. And that and the flooding might come up so fast, you might not survive. So what I tell people is stop right now and just say to yourself, you don't want to go through this. I've talked to people that have gone through 
six foot, nine foot of storm surge. They will never do it again. I've watched people just be shocked at how the water came up and they were not even next to the coast. And I've watched, I've watched trailers just tumbled and, and, and no family members have lost their life. And I've talked to family members that were looking the day after for their family member and they're found three or four days away, blocks away, because they got swept away. That should not happen to any family in the state. So I hope everybody stops and says, am I in evacuation zone? If I am, I'm going to get out right now. You still have time to get out, um, but you have to make a decision right now. So um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, when I was governor for four years, I had four major storms or, or four major hurricanes. My goal was to not have anybody die. That was my whole goal. I can, you can rebuild everything. You can rebuild everything but your life. And have you been hearing from people today that, that say that they're not heeding those evacuation orders and why? I've, uh, you know, yeah, what I've, I've been traveling the state and so I've been, you know, with emergency management people and sheriffs and police and fire and stuff like that. And what they're telling me is that, you know, not everybody's evacuating. Um, and, and again, I really do believe it comes down to they've historically, they never thought about the storm surge and, uh, they, they've just thought about wind events and wind events, you know, are things that, you know, if you're, if you're in a home, especially it's been rebuilt and built in the last 20 years, you're probably going to be fine. Um, it's the water that's going to kill you. And you try, I talk to hurricane center about this all the time, about how can we come up with something that people focus more on the water side of this because that's what's killing Floridians now. Uh, some of it's the wind. If you're you know, an old home or a trailer park or manufactured home, but most of it's water. And so we've got to figure out how to get people to focus on. I mean, do you just think, here's what happens, and, and because I've watched it in the hurricanes. I mean, 10 foot of storm church comes in. It comes in, it breaks everything into your house. There's no way you can stop the water pressure in your house. And then it sucks everything that's not tied down out including you, you're not going to, it's, you're not going to survive it. If you get, if you get six and you're from a one story house and you get six foot of storm surge, your chance of surviving is almost none. I know of one person I've ever talked to that was six foot of storm surge and it was not even, that was probably five foot survived it. Nobody else I've ever talked to. No one else I've ever, no one's ever survived it that I know of. Yeah. So I mean, we're hearing that from officials who are warning about, about unsurvivable levels. And obviously Life is the most important thing here. And people there, though, are also they're worried about their property. I mean, Floridians are already paying four times the national average for, for home insurance. And as we've seen more and more of these natural disasters, I mean, how worried are you about this critical industry and people in your home state and their ability to have access to affordable home insurance? Oh, it, it's a wake-up call. If you look at if you look at what's happened with um, the property insurance rates, it's you know, and I always think about I, as you know, given I grew up in public housing, so I always think about how has it impacted somebody like my mom, right? And so it's it's devastating to people if they they see their property insurance or their rent goes up because the property insurance of their landlord went up. So what we have to do is we have to figure out how do we um, get you know insurance companies to come back in and how do we how do we work with them to get rates down? I did that. Um, companies like State Farm, companies like State Farm had left the state before I became governor back in 2011, and I sat down with them and said, "What are the problems?" And I went to address those problems. We got to do the exact same thing again because this is this you this is way it's way too expensive um, to insure homes 
uh, in, Flo- in Florida right now. And so we've got to work with the insurance companies. We've got to recruit them uh, to come back in the state. We've got to get more uh, competition and we've got to solve the problem so they can drive their rates down. And do you think enough is being done to make sure that, that that's happening right now? Kaylin, until it's happened, nothing. you know, the way I always look at, I'm, I'm a business guy by background and everything you're doing until it's completely solved, you know, there's more to do. Um, so we still have companies leaving. I mean, we have less, we have uh, less competition and the, the private company, uh, the public um, organized company, the government one citizens, um, I work to get it down uh, to, I right sized it from a million and a half policies to 400,000. I think it's back up to 1.3 million policies. It's not a fully funded insurance product. This, we've got to, this has got to be figured out. At that, that's at the state level. At the federal level, I'm working on trying to make sure we have a robust private flood insurance market because we're actually a donor state in the national flood insurance program. And when they raise our rates, that's not fair. And so I'm trying to get a robust private um, uh, flood insurance program um, because that would drive those rates down. But the property insurance uh, program is a state program and there's clearly more that has to be done. Yeah, it is a deeply important issue to many people in Florida. Senator Rick Scott, I know you have a lot to keep your eye on over the next few days. Thank you for joining me tonight. Okay, pray for Floridians. Bye-bye. We will. These record warm waters in the Gulf of Mexico are making this storm tonight even stronger more dangerous and more unpredictable. But is this the new normal? We have our chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, live from one of Florida's danger zones to break it down for us in just a moment. Hurricane Idalia passed through some of the world's warmest waters on its way to Florida's coast. In the Gulf of Mexico and in South Florida, as you can see here, water temperature is breaking records this year. In July, one buoy that was off the coast recorded 101 degrees. That is equivalent to the temperature of a hot tub. We'll dig into all of this and how it's changing what we are seeing happening in Florida tonight. Bill Weir is CNN's chief climate correspondent. He is in Steenhatchee along Florida's Big Bend, where Hurricane Idalia is expected to hit the hardest. Bill, thanks for joining us. I mean, how are these record-breaking warm waters amplifying the effects of what we're watching tonight, just how quickly this storm is intensifying? Yeah, it's all connected, Caitlin. Uh, One of the scariest units of measurement that I've learned covering this beat, uh, the climate beat, is Hiroshima's per second. That is the amount of extra energy absorbed by our oceans. A few years ago, it was five Hiroshima-sized explosions per second, every second of every day being absorbed. Now it's around 10 due to the heat-trapping pollution that comes from from burning fossil fuels. And it's sort of the way you, if you were to heat up a a bathtub of of lukewarm water with a tea kettle, it would take a while. It would stay lukewarm until, ow, it it no longer is. And it feels like the summer of 2023, we saw these numbers where people went, wow, this is off the charts faster than we had anticipated. And it just creates more storm energy. It's more energy for these hurricanes. It's steroids, whatever metaphor you want to use. One degree of warming Fahrenheit can lead to a 10% greater intensity of the storm. There's other factors involved, wind shear and El Nino and all that stuff. But this is coming at a time when you've got a lot of folks who know these waters, who have known the hurricanes of years past and are sort of setting their risk management around the world that really no longer exists. Uh, one guy was, uh, is a Mike Baker, a captain here who's 
who's ferried presidents out on fishing trips uh, down here. Uh, he knows these waters better than most. He's deciding to stay, and I asked him why. Talk about the decision to stay when something like this well, seems so it, obviously you know, scary. It, it started like back in Hurricane Donna as a kid. I can remember our parents took us to the mainland up into Homestead. And uh, we came back and our home had been uh, rummaged from other people. You know, the, the looters, they, they, they took everything. Not to mention the amount of time you're away from your home. You have no idea what it's going to look like or if you have a home when you're there. Yeah. Uh, you know, all it would take for me to just go two hours from here and come back and trees or power lines be across the road and I can't get here. That, that, that to me is, is more harmful than, than riding the storm. And Caitlin, this, of course, is a state about civil liberties. You know, part of the appeal for a lot of people's moving here is that no one's going to tell you what to do. Well, now you've got authorities telling you what to do. That is, get out of these low-lying areas for your own sake. Nobody's coming back to help you until it's too late. Uh, the cautionary tale from a year ago, less than a year ago, Hurricane Ian, when it hit Lee County, most of the deaths came from storm surge. That is just not survivable if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and I mean, we saw the damage from Hurricane Ian. They're still recovering from that. But on the climate aspect of this, you know, and we're talking about how much warmer the waters are. I'm fascinated that Hiroshima's per second. I mean, but does this make it harder for officials to, to track these, to forecast where these storms are going? Well, I think it's pretty good when it comes to directional modeling. Um, but it's that rapid intensification that may catch residents off guard sooner than than forecasters just because when you hit when it goes from 80 degree water to 90 degree water and it just revs that engine it, it may ramp up we may wake up in the morning and it's a category three uh that we went to bed we weren't anticipating that so that's one big part of it and then there's the the, the ocean life piece of this the coral reefs the system of the at the bottom of the aquaculture and fishing industry is dying as we speak it's being boiled in these hot waters. And so there's a lot of knockoff effects coming down on Florida these days. Bill Weir, thank you for being there to break it all down for us. And a former governor who knows what it's like to deal with these storms will join us when we return. Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey when Superstorm Sandy struck in 2012. His insight on preparing for the disaster and calls for him to drop out of the race from Donald Trump next. We have breaking news here tonight as Florida is about to be hit by a major hurricane. Idalia has strengthened to a Category 2. It is expected, though, to intensify to a Category 3 by the time it makes landfall, likely to early tomorrow morning. The governor there urging people who are in zones, evacuation zones, to heed the warnings and get out now because by tomorrow it may be too late and the first responders will not be able to reach them. Florida's Big Bend region is expected to experience historic Storm surge as high as 15 feet potentially that could bring catastrophic flooding to the area. This would be the first major hurricane on record to make landfall in that region. And joining me now is former New Jersey governor and Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie. Governor, thanks for being here tonight. You oversaw the state of New Jersey when Hurricane Sandy did unprecedented damage in 2012. What's your advice for, for leaders in Florida tonight? How do you think that Governor DeSantis is handling his hurricane preparations right now? Look, I mean, I think he's handling it in, in a very standard way. I think, uh, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get until you get it. 
And that's what I learned from a number of different hurricanes that I had to deal with in New Jersey. Of course, the worst one being Sandy. Um, but I think the best advice I can give him is just to be present, you know, to be present, be out there. Let let the citizens see you after the worst of the storm is over so that they know that you're on top of the job and that you're going to listen to their concerns and do the very best you can to help get them rebuilt and recovered as quickly as possible. At the Republican debate last week, Vivek Ramaswamy brought up how, how you embraced then-President Obama following Sandy. He said you hugged him. You, you really just shook his hand as he put his arm on you. I mean, but what do you think, yeah. 10 years later or so, that, do Republicans want a candidate who, who isn't willing to reach across the aisle even after a natural disaster? What did you make of that? Look, I just it shows his immaturity. Um, and he's showing that every day with the things that he's saying day after day after day. So I don't worry about him. I think what the public needs to know about what I did then was I put the citizens of my state before politics. I made sure that when we suffered $60 billion in damage in the state of New Jersey, that I knew the only way that we could rebuild and recover as quickly as possible was to be partners with the federal government. And so I understood that I had been Mitt Romney's keynote speaker. I had been his number one surrogate out on the campaign campaigning hard against Barack Obama. Um, and I, I voted for Mitt Romney, and I worked as hard or harder than anybody for him. But Mitt Romney understood that when it came to a natural disaster and the devastating damage it did to my state, your job, you take an oath of office, not an oath of party. And my job was to put the people of my state first. And when I'm president, that's exactly what I'll do. I'll put the people of the country, their needs and their concerns before my own political concerns. And that's something that you're not going to get from somebody like Donald Trump. You never did. And you won't now. Speaking of the 2024 race and Trump, he wrote today that you, all caps, should drop out of the race. He is going nowhere and is very bad for the Republican Party. What's your response to that? He only wishes I was going away. And it's great, you know, for me, Caitlin, to live rent free in Donald Trump's head. Obviously, he was watching the interview as I was doing it. I was laying out the truth about him. And that's one thing he cannot stand is when someone who's credible, someone who's been there as a prosecutor for seven years, running the fifth largest office in the country, who was 130 and 0 in political corruption prosecutions when I was U.S. attorney, he knows I'm not just some politician talking about his problems. I'm someone who has done it and done it well. And I know how deep his problems are and how much they're damaging both the Republican Party and the country. And I'm not getting out of this race. And maybe he should think about getting out of the race since he'll be spending most of March and half of April in a courtroom in Washington, D.C., not fighting the fight against Joe Biden like I'll be doing every day. A super PAC that is supporting you launched an ad, and they have now featured Trump's mugshot in that ad. His campaign is claiming they've raised over $9 million from it. Trump is calling it iconic today. I mean, you're using it in an ad, presumably, obviously, against him, but but does it actually hurt him in the Republican primary right now? I think it reminds everybody of what he's up against. It reminds everybody what he's done to the country. This is his conduct. You know, Caitlin, whether you believe the prosecutions are fair or unfair, the one thing that not even Donald Trump disputes are the underlying facts of his own conduct. They put himself and his own selfish desire to stay in power ahead of the American people, ahead of our electoral system, ahead of the peaceful transfer of power. 
You know, when you get in this business, it's not always going to be fair, Caitlin, but that's what you sign up for. And as president, you need to put the country first. He never put the country first in that instance. What he did was put himself first. So he wishes I would drop out of the race because I'm the only one on that stage who's telling the truth about him. And I'm one of two people who didn't raise my hand and say I would support a convicted felon uh, for re-election to the presidency. Yeah, were you, um, were you wrong, waving your finger in that moment? Knows he's what wrong. was that? I was doing this. I was saying no. Okay. No. Like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, speaking and of- I think I made myself very clear. Yeah, you, you certainly have on that front. Uh, President Biden announced today the first 10 drugs that are going to be subject to price negotiations between Medicare and pharmaceutical companies. Obviously a big step. If you are in the Oval Office, would you keep or remove the ability for Medicare to negotiate lower prescription drug prices? What, what I would do, Caitlin, is take an entirely different approach to the problem. The real problem um, in the, the cost of prescription drugs are these pharmacy benefit managers, the middlemen that are taking 60 and 70% of the rebates that the pharmaceutical companies intend for the customers and pocketing themselves, making tens of billions of dollars a year. How about we start there with the middlemen who provide absolutely no value to the consumer and little or no value to the pharmaceutical companies? How about we start there and then we work and see whether we need to have further negotiations on prices. But these are huge rebates that are given by the pharma companies intended for their patients, and instead they're gobbled up by these big corporate middlemen that are just a huge problem in our system. And as I said, eating up tens of billions of dollars. Caitlin, when we made them bid for services in New Jersey, in one year, just on our public sector workers' health insurance, we saved $500 million. Imagine what they're doing across the entire country and how much money they're making. That's where I would start as president. But you're not prepared to say yes or no on the actual negotiations that, that are now allowed to happen on at least these 10 drugs. Uh, I'm saying, let me be clear, I'm saying no until we squeeze the money out of these middlemen. Then we can go and look at that if there's a further need for action. So I'd say no now. The president's mm-hmm. taking the easy path. He should take the hard path and go after these pharmacy benefit managers who are bringing no value to it. The pharmaceutical companies are developing the greatest and best drugs in the world for American consumers and patients. Those patients deserve the rebates that the pharma companies are offering, and these middlemen are stealing it from them. Um, And that's the people I would go after first before I start using Medicare to negotiate prices of drugs and further reductions. A notable no there. Governor Chris Christie, thank you for your time tonight. Caitlin, thanks so much for having me on. And if people want to continue to hear the truth, go to chrischristie.com and donate. That's the way we keep this truth train going. Thank you. And tonight we are still closely tracking Hurricane Idalia as it is drawing ever closer to Florida. A live update from the CNN Weather Center next. As Hurricane Idalia is advancing on Florida tonight, officials are sounding the alarm over a historic storm surge that is expected to hit the Big Bend area. The forecast along the coast is anywhere from 3 to 15, yes, 15 feet. CNN's Chad Myers is back with me to help break this down. I mean, Chad, I mean, looking at this, 3 to to, to 15 feet, what would this even be like for, for homes in these areas, much less people who didn't evacuate and could experience that? And, you know, I was thinking most of this is wildlife management area. 
the, the animals, the, the, all the wildlife that is going to start to be hopefully running away from that surge. It's, uh, it's going to be a sad scene for a lot of people, I'm afraid. 105 miles per hour right now, and I'm sure that this has even gone up since the last pass from the Hurricane Hunter aircraft. So we'll keep you up to date on that. Every time we get a new pass in, the numbers have been going up. Wind speed, the pressures have been going down. Look at the eye right now. We have not had an eye all day, but about an hour ago, the eye popped, which means the storm is now breathing. The storm is a living thing, not just a bunch of storms, just kind of all bouncing off each other. The rapid rotation around the eye, the lift and the sinking air in the middle of the eye, this is how a storm rapidly intensifies exactly what we anticipated, but we didn't see all day. Well, now it's happening. One more thing that's happening, thunderstorms are developing just off the west coast of Florida. Every single one of these, as they come on shore, could rotate a little bit, like a water spout coming on shore. Or if it actually starts right on shore, certainly it would be a tornado. That threat is happening right now. Didn't have that threat for most of the day. Here's what we're looking for. Cat 2 right now. But up here in this catcher's mitt of the big bend of Florida, that's where the storm surge will be the worst. And some of this storm surge, Caitlin, will go miles and miles inland. We will see this from the flatness. Some of this area only goes up one foot every mile. So if you take a 15-foot storm surge, this thing could go onshore and inshore for a very, very long time. Yeah, obviously that's a huge concern, especially with yeah. the supermoon, the high tide, making things worse. Chad mm -hmm. Myers, you are going to be busy. Thank you for that tonight. Our coverage of Hurricane Adalia is going to continue. Also, this, a political controversy exploding again in Tennessee. It is one you're familiar with. One of those same Democrats who was expelled from the State House earlier this year over a gun violence protest, silenced again by Republicans. Why? Representative Justin Jones will join me next. Tennessee state lawmaker Justin Jones, who infamously was expelled from his seat by his Republican colleagues after a heated debate on gun reform before eventually being reinstated, has been silenced by Republican lawmakers yet again. During a special session yesterday on public safety measures in the aftermath of that deadly Nashville school shooting that killed six people, including three children, Representative Jones was accused of being, quote, off-topic and was reprimanded based on newly imposed rules that were set by the Republican supermajority. Joining me now is Democratic State Representative Justin Jones. And thank you for being here. You were ruled out of order. Can you just walk us through uh, what happened and what it was that you said that was deemed off topic? Yes, Caitlin. Well, thank you so much for having me. Today is a very sad day for Tennessee because we just adjourned our special session, um, not returning until January without passing any common sense gun laws and once again silencing voices of dissent. Um, yesterday I was silenced um, un in an unprecedented move to enact new House rules that would stop me from speaking for the rest of the day because I was call talking about the need of my district for more mental health support, more counselors, uh, not more armed guards and guns in our schools. And for that, the speaker said I was off topic and said that I was out of order and that I could not speak for the rest of the day. And that if I was ruled out of order again, I wouldn't be able to speak for three days and the next offense would be indefinitely. So this is what we're seeing happening under these new House rules being weaponized to silence voices of dissent, as well as to criminalize mothers who are in committee holding up paper signs who were dragged out by troopers for exercising their First Amendment right. So 
the special session is on public safety. You're bringing up things that you believe would increase public safety, and you were therefore therefore ruled out of order. Is that right? That's correct. Um, I, I voiced the concerns of my district, District 52 in Tennessee, um, who said that we, we what will make us feel safe, what will help um, in this time of crisis because of the continual occurrence of mass shootings and gun violence in our state and in our nation. Um, and I was not even able to voice those concerns. And I think that's very unfortunate because we are supposed to be a, de a deliberative body, a legislative body. I'm a representative of my district, and I can't even speak for my district. The speaker gaveled me um, off topic, and so I couldn't speak for the rest of the day. But what he was really trying to stop, Caitlin, was a motion for no confidence that I had told him I was going to make at the um, end of session for, under new business to call a, no vote, um, a vote of no confidence in his leadership because of his failure um, as speaker, um, attacking constitutional rights, silencing the voices of Tennesseans, refusing to um, take up seriously the issue of gun violence, and he wanted to shut that down. So you're saying he just did it because he was mainly worried that you were going to call a no-confidence vote for him? He was. Um, even today, before we adjourned session, once again, I rose my hand and, and sought recognition to make the um, motion to vote no confidence in the Speaker of the House of Tennessee, Cameron Sexton. And he chose to ignore me and to go to one of his members to merely call the, the adjournment vote. Um, and if he was confident in his leadership, Caitlin, he would take the vote. But what we're seeing is a speaker who's so fragile and so afraid of being held accountable that even his own Republican members are frustrated with how he's led Tennessee. You saw what happened on April 6th when we were expelled. You saw what happened in their special session with mothers whose children were involved in, in shooting and in, in gun violence at their school being dragged out of committee. I mean, he, the, the House um, in Tennessee is out of order. The speaker's out of order. He should resign. But if he won't resign, I'll be back in January to call for a no-confidence vote in his leadership. Right, because you, you're, the whole point of this special session w was to pursue these measures. You don't believe anything of substance was passed, and now we'll see what January looks like. Representative Justin Jones, thank you again for joining us here tonight on The Source. Thank you so much, Caitlin. And thank you all so much for joining us. Of course, tonight here on CNN, we are continuing our coverage of Hurricane Idalia. It is forecast to make landfall on Florida's Big Bend region in just a matter of hours from now. We are tracking it all very closely. CNN Primetime with Abby Phillips starts right now. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.